Well, hello and welcome to the Godwit Podcast for another week. My name is Paul Smith and uh, I'm rolling solo this week because um, my partner in crime, David Kowalik, doesn't want to get COVID. So, all right, David. Um, yeah, we've we've had some time away on holidays after, after Easter and then I've had COVID uh, along with my whole family, so... There's been a bit of uh, interruption to the podcast, and rather than leaving it for another week, I thought I'd jump in and and uh, just do an, another episode solo. Uh, we'll see how it goes. I mean, it's a little bit weird just talking to the camera, and probably really boring for you listening to one voice instead of a conversation. But um, this will be a bit shorter, and and we'll see how it goes. Now I'm going to leave aside um, our current series which is on righteousness that we started um, with our last episode um, and just do one that's a bit of a tangent although it's related um, they're all related to each other there's a big interconnected web of ideas that go together Um, but what I want to talk about today is how Genesis 4 wrecks a lot of popular theology and uh, you understand what I mean by that when I get to it. Hopefully I can get through this without coughing too much. Sorry, I probably sound really nasally as well. If there's a lot of chopping in the edits, it's because I keep coughing. So sorry about that. Anyway, when I was a kid, I used to watch this uh, movie called The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston and Yul Brenner. Um, everyone over the age of 35 probably knows that movie. Um, it was on repeat in my household when I was a child. And uh, I love the movie. It was great. But it gave me this idea of of what the storyline was for Moses and the Exodus. So I thought I had a really good idea of how how the story went. But then I went um, later as an adult when I was reading the account in Exodus. It's really interesting. The story of Moses goes from from one verse where he's a baby and uh, was given to um, the princess of of Egypt. Um, Pharaoh's daughter, um, as a as a young kid, and then the very next verse it jumps to when he's about forty years old, and the story of where he intervenes um, in a fight and kills someone, and then runs away. So all of his childhood and youth and early adult early adult years are not present; they're just glossed over in in a verse. And I was like, oh, I had all this idea of like that he's his um, f- um, his Egyptian brother, another prince, and there was this kind of like friendly rivalry between them, and then you know it was Ramses and all this stuff. None of that's present in the Exodus account, and I'm not complaining about that because it's poetic license. It doesn't really there's no harm in it. But what I'm saying is, it's funny how you get an idea in your head of what the story is that you've been told, and then you go to the Bible and it doesn't co- corroborate that story. Now, that's pretty harmless in the the case of Moses' childhood, but um, what's not harmless, in, in my view, is the meta story of the Bible, the way that's told, um, and how it jumps straight from Genesis chapter 3 to Jesus, and the way... The way the problem of the story is told is that when the fall happened, and I say fall with um, 
air quotes because it's not called that in the Bible. You won't find any reference to the the fall anywhere in the Bible other than in a, in a chapter title in Genesis 3, which is um, being inserted. It's not part of the original script. But yeah, the way the story is told is that straight after the fall, what happened was that humans became um, utterly sinful and separated from God. Uh, there was now an instant separation between humans and God. All humans from then on were sinful, and the only way to solve that problem was eventually by Jesus's atoning death, which made us not sinful. And there's all sorts of problems with that. In that, when even when I say it made us not sinful, it means it made us appear not sinful. It didn't mean that we don't sin anymore. So it made us not sinful um, so that we could have relationship with God again. And um, if you've watched or listened to our series on atonement, you know that we don't believe that that's um, really the storyline of why Jesus died. Um, But also I want to dispute that that's not the storyline of what happened in the beginning either. And Genesis 4 really kind of, I think, wrecks that story. So um, first of all, uh, I'm going to read something from this book called Introducing Christian Doctrine. It's a um, it's written by a theologian, edited by another theologian. They're both um, seminary professors. It gets used as a textbook, seminary textbook. It's basically a um, systematic theology. Just want to read their section on sin, not the whole section on sin. They've got like several chapters on it. But here's a quote uh, from their section about sin. It says, Sin produced an immediate transformation in the relationship which Adam and Eve had with God. They had evidently been on close and friendly terms with God. They trusted and obeyed him. And on the basis of Genesis 3 verse 8, it can be concluded that they had customarily had fellowship with God. Now, however, all of this was changed. Because they had violated the trust and the command of God, the relationship became became quite different. They had placed themselves on the wrong side of God and had, in effect, become his enemies. And then they go on to to quote um, what I'm going to call proof texts from later in the Bible about um, how people are sinful and etc. What no one ever does when telling this story of the utter sinfulness and the broken relationship, separation from God, is go continue reading the story in Genesis chapter 4. And so that's what we're going to do today because if you continue reading the story, it it doesn't corroborate that storyline of total sinfulness and separation from God. Uh, even the end of Genesis chapter 3 So after pronouncing the curses on Adam and Eve and the serpent, in verse 21, after all the curses, it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. There's an act of straight after there's disobedience and sins entered, they've developed a knowledge of good and evil, the the result is curses, God immediately does an act of kindness, which you'll call relationship 
with Adam and Eve. He made clothes for them and then kicked them out of the garden. The idea that Adam and Eve being kicked out of the garden was the equivalent to separation from God, total separation from God, is false, which is what we see if we go into Genesis chapter 4. Now, Genesis chapter 4 begins with, it says, Adam and Eve slept together and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she says, with the help of Yahweh, I've brought forth a man. With the help of Yahweh, that denotes still ongoing relationship. There's some kind of connection still between Adam and Eve. But then this whole concept of the offerings, so then it goes on to talk about Cain and Abel, and then in the course of time, they came and brought offerings, right? This whole concept of bringing offerings is a relational activity. Cain and Abel had relationship with God. They were bringing him offerings. Now, it's interesting what ideas we kind of have in our heads, um, the way we we read stuff, is that I always used to read these accounts of kind of God talking to, um, to people here in these early chapters of Genesis as like a voice from the sky. But a voice from the sky isn't what's happening. When Adam and Eve had um, fellowship with God in the Garden of Eden, it says they literally, wa- God walked through the garden like God was anthropomorphized, which means um, he was conceived of as taking on like human form. In human form or in the appearance of human form, some kind of physical form, he would walk through the garden and he would talk and relate face to face with Adam and Eve. And we see um, a lot in the the Old Testament, God appearing in some kind of physical form. Um not always in like a human kind of form, but so for example, the burning bush when he talks to Moses, there's it's not human form, but there's a bush and it's on fire, and it says from um, that the angel of Yahweh was inside the burning bush and speaking out of it. It wasn't a voice coming from heaven. There was some kind of physical manifestation there uh, when Yahweh comes down on Mount Sinai. Um, he's seen like the um, when Moses and Aaron go up on Mount Sinai and they have this big meal and the seventy elders they they literally see him sitting on a throne there on the mountain when um, the angel of the Lord is in the fire and in the cloud in the tabernacle God speaks out of the cloud in the story of Abraham he comes in a in human form and speaks face to face. With Abraham, other than when Jesus comes out of the water in his baptism and it says a voice came from heaven, which might be where we got the idea of God speaking by a voice from heaven. But up, aside from that example, every other case of God speaking to people, there's some kind of form that he's in and he speaks to them um, kind of tangibly. And there's no reason to think that God was speaking out of the sky to Cain and Abel. When when he was speaking to Adam and Eve previously, he was in a human form and speaking to them face to face. So Cain and Abel bring offerings to God face to face. They literally bring their offerings to him and he interacts with them. He speaks to them. He says to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And there's another thing that wrecks our theology 
I mean, every time I hear the story of Cain and Abel told, it's like, see, straight after the fall, humans are just killing each other, like straight away, just sinful, right? But only one of them is killing, you know, only Cain is killing his brother. Abel, as we've talked about in our first episode on righteousness, Abel is called righteous by Jesus, by John, by the writer of writer of Hebrews in the New Testament. And he's presented here as righteous, that God looked with favor on his offering because his actions were right. And here's what God literally says to Cain in Genesis 4 from verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. God is literally saying to Cain, do what is right, and you can do what is right. Sin is wanting to master you, but you must have mastery over it. And the implication is that uh, Abel didn't give in to sin. Now, we, we can't say that he was had some kind of sinless perfection. We don't know. Um, but we can say that there's a picture of, t- of two different people responding to sin and responding to God in different ways. The idea that all humans have just become sinful and separated from God is not present here. Abel, at least to a fair degree, wasn't sinful and Cain was. Sin, Cain gave in to sin, Abel didn't, at least as a, as a meta idea. Now, I don't know that everything that Abel did was morally perfect, but what the Bible is presenting here is that Abel didn't give in to sin and Cain did. That wrecks the idea that all humans have just become sinful. What's going on here wrecks the idea that humans are separated from God relationally. No, the very next humans straight after the fall were in relationship with God. They were relating to him face to face. He was speaking to them. They were bringing him offerings. Like, I don't know what other kind of signs you need to suggest that there was a relationship there. Like, how is this not relationship? If we go on, when Cain, when God comes to Cain and questions him about what happened to his brother Abel um, and then doles out his punishment, here's what Cain says in verse 13. Cain said to Yahweh, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be hidden from your presence. And then if we go down a little bit further to verse 16, it says, So Cain went out from Yahweh's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. He went out of Yahweh's presence. So how can you go out of someone's presence if you're not in it? That's that's the question. And if you're in someone's presence, hear me out here, If you are in someone's presence and talking to them and relating to them and bringing them offerings and they're talking to you and relating to you, how is that not relationship? So the idea that relationship was broken between humans straight after the fall is completely debunked by Genesis chapter 4. And if we go right to the end of the chapter, Genesis 4, 26, 
the second half of the verse says, at that time, men began to call on the name of Yahweh. Or another translation is men began to proclaim the name of Yahweh. Now, if after the fall, all humans became sinful and separated from God, and as popular theology goes, we have no way of even approaching God or or drawing near to him or calling on him without, you know, of our own steam, without um, the work of Jesus, what do we do with this verse? That men were calling on the name of Yahweh. And then we go into um, Genesis chapter 5, which is basically just a big genealogy. And most of the time it doesn't comment on whether the people were good or bad or how they lived, other than we get the story, um, just this little couple of verses that mention Enoch in 5.23 and 24, but it says Enoch walked with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Enoch walked with God. I mean, that sounds like relationship to me. Now, what I'm trying to get at here is not, I'm not trying to say that sin isn't an issue and that um, sin didn't create any problems. What I am trying to point out is that there's actually a much more dynamic story going on than the one we commonly hear and the one we we commonly tell, which is that humans just became sinful and separated from God. Relationship was gone at the fall. Jesus fixed all that. Actually, I think there's a much more dynamic story of a of a deforming and a corrupting of humanity over time. So we get um, with Cain and Abel, we start to see a couple of different paths that come out. Um, Abel was righteous. Cain wasn't. There's a couple of options to go down. The idea that humans were totally enslaved to sin right after the fall, I don't believe is, is accurate to the Bible. But, um, and I don't believe either that the, the fall at Genesis three is the big problem it's, it's certainly one of them. It certainly had a big impact on the rest of the story. But there's more to the problem part of the story that unfolds. I'm not going to talk about um, the flood uh, in this episode other than just to say if we go on to Genesis chapter 6, which is the flood narrative, in verse 5 it says, Yahweh saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. So we've got uh, multiple generations later. Um, a lot of biblical scholars don't take the genealogies as like being, you know, totally literal, as in like these are this is a factual account of how old everyone was. But if you did take it that way, then the maths adds up to from Adam to the flood is like nearly two thousand years. That's a lot of time for a lot of people to make a lot of choices, right? That's a lot of time for more sinfulness to develop. And that's why it says, Yahweh saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. Think about it. Why did why did God destroy a lot of humanity later at the flood? If the fall was the big problem, why didn't he wipe humans out then? Why didn't he go, oh, Adam and Eve, like you, you're so sinful now, I have to get rid of you? Because there's an ongoing development of what's going on here. It wasn't an instant thing. Yes, the fall caused some serious problems, but everything didn't change right then. Humans didn't become totally sinful and separated from God. 
the Bible actually tells more of a story of of um, multiple rebellions that happen and multiple parts of the story from Genesis three to eleven. Really, you get um, some of the major parts of the story where things go wrong in a major, major way that don't get talked about anywhere near enough. But you can summarize them as like a devolution of humanity over time. With humans became more wicked, more enslaved to sin over time. There's like a thing of nature and nurture going on here. So this episode is just a bit of a teaser for um, some of the stuff we're going to talk about uh, in the future on this on the podcast. Um, but just a quick summary is that the story is not about one of an instant breakdown of everything. And so if the, the the problem isn't an instant breakdown, then I don't think we have an instant solution either, which is the way the common story is told. There's an instant problem. Um, sin enters the world through one act of disobedience. Humans become totally sinful and separated from God. Through one act of obedience, I mean, Paul talk, does talk in this language in Romans 5, through one, one man's disobedience, sin and death entered. Through one man's obedience, then, then life came to all men. But Paul was talking specifically about the problem of death there, death related to sin, which is a big part of the problem. But it's not just about we all instantly became sinful and then through Jesus we instantly become not sinful. There's a deforming that's happened to humans over time and then there's a reforming project that God's doing and it's more dynamic than the common story usually tells it. Anyway, feel free to hit us up with uh, any comments, questions, pushback, and uh, we'll see you again soon uh, next time with David again, which will be great. So uh, as always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.